Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello, this is Sam Matterface and before we start today's podcast I just want to talk about racism I know you've heard a lot about it recently and I'm sure you're not really interested in what I think but I'm lucky enough to have a voice and I'm extremely fortunate to have a platform so I will use it to say this because to say nothing and ignore it because it might make you feel uncomfortable or somebody else uncomfortable or encourage someone to turn off would be like saying I'm more interested in keeping those people who don't care about racism happy than the constant victimisation and prejudice faced by millions. How can I celebrate black players or dance to music made by black artists and then stay silent on racism? I speak for that reason. I speak because as James Corden hammered home this week, black people didn't make this problem. You can't expect them to fix it. This is a problem that's created by white people, not all white people, but it's white people's voices that need to stand up to racism to fix it. How crazy is it? I know it's comedians and entertainers that are more eloquent on this subject than politicians. So I will finish by quoting another. The articulate and very hurt sideman from One Extra. Let's do simple maths. In these first world countries, there's more of you than there is of us. So the more people who speak up, the more voices will be heard and maybe some change can happen. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. 86 days since the last Premier League game and we are revved up for a return to action in England's top two divisions. But did anyone ask the championship? Hello, social distancers. We've got transfer gossip as well. Starting to go into overdrive as far as Liverpool are concerned, they're getting warmer on Werner as Timo runs out on the release calls at RB Leipzig. And if you want to know where an Atletico Madrid star is going this summer, you better call Saul, as the Spanish star teases followers with a new club countdown. Um, sort of. Also this week, our big interview is with Darren Anderton as he relives Euro 96 and predicts great success at next summer's European Championships for England. Aston Villa and Republic of Ireland international Conor Howrahan on hard graft and the influence of playing in League 1 and 2 and Michael O'Neill, the Stoke boss, on a four and a half hour training session. All on the podcast that's on its marks, it's getting ready, it's set and unlike a couple of Charlton players, ready to go. It's game day from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Wow, the heat in the UK has been tremendous, hasn't it? The sunniest spring since records began over 100 years ago. How can that be a coincidence when Crookie and I have been bringing you sunshine into your life every week at the exact same period? Trust in us, folks. Look what we've done to her to Berlin. Although the rain has come in the last 24 hours and is forecast to stay. So that... Let's hope that it doesn't mean that there's a downturn in either listening figures or the fortunes of her to Berlin. Or me swimming in the sea. That's a real worry if you're saying that this is to stay. It might be a bit cold. How's the Spanish coming on, by the way? Not very well, judging by your pronounce, pronunciation of... Oh, well, it's, it's ironic that you couldn't pronounce pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> so you tried to give me a little bit of a dig and then actually messed it up. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't really work if you say Saul Niguez. Uh, when you're trying to say you better call Saul, you know it doesn't. That's all right. We'll just change his name. No one will notice. No. Anyway, it was it was for a joke. Um, but uh, did you see that? By the way, the idea of him announcing a new club and he did this countdown. Everyone got very excited about it. He got loads of views on Twitter. Then he revealed who his next club was going to be, and it was Club Costa City, which is some Nike training base. And he was just talking about a new advertising hookup that he'd done. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't know the punchline of that story. Um, I, I did see that he was flirting on social media, but I knew it wasn't going to be his new club. I, I knew it was going to be some kind of endorsement. So that's disappointing. Really. You didn't get drawn in. 
I didn't. You're so cynical. Uh, This week, I saw my 20-year-old daughter for the first time in three and a half months, so forgive me if I'm a little bit hyper today. I've also had um, a tough moment to swallow. Mrs. Matterface, who, let's be honest, has put up with quite a lot over this period, God bless her, was in bed the other night. And uh, as I walked into the room, I said, oh, what are you reading? She said, well, I've found a new diet for you. There's nothing like a little bit of passive encouragement. Um, So I'm three days into this new diet. And as you will testify, it's made me very grumpy. It has made me very unhappy. I've, I've got a headache. I'm not in, I haven't been in a particularly good mood. And when I ha- am in a good mood, I'm sort of like really hyper. So I will update you over the next week or so whether or not it works or not. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been quite a challenge. Sorry, I'm just going to sample this banana cake that Mrs. Crook has just served up for me and just waft that in front of your face. Let's get to the top stories. Players at Premier League clubs took their cue from Jadon Sancho's tribute to George Floyd, a black man who was killed whilst being arrested in Minneapolis last week, with Liverpool and Chelsea players amongst those who took the knee in training, pleading for others to speak out against racism. Real Salt Lake defender and former Man City player Nida Manua says he doesn't feel 100% safe in the USA, saying he has a fear and distrust towards the police. Premier League clubs have been given special dispensation to play friendlies behind closed doors before the restart of competitive action on June the 17th, as long as they don't travel longer than 90 minutes. Transfer gossip has warmed up too, with Ben Chilwell being linked with Chelsea again, Timo Werner moving a step closer to becoming a Liverpool player, Paul Pogba still being courted by Zinedine Zidane, and Pierre Hoybier warned he faces being stripped of the Southampton captaincy unless he signs a new contract. Mm. Matty Longstaff appears to be leaving Newcastle at the end of his contract after Udinese offered him a deal worth 30 grand a week. Well, he is currently on only £850 a week in an academy contract. And the Premier League will not adopt new law changes brought in by the IFAB until the new season starts later in the year. The lawmakers have redefined what is handball and standardised the VAR procedure so incidents of accidental hand contact in the build-up to a goal must be reviewed by the referee. The big news this week has been championship and EFL related. It appears that the governing body had decided on a mandatory date for resumption in that division without getting the full consent of the clubs. Queen's Park Rangers have definitely been the most vocal, but they weren't alone. And it seems odd that the clubs seem to be under the impression, Crook, that they were restarting on June the 27th, which would give them a similar sort of time for preparation as the Premier League boys had once they went to group contact training. We'll speak to Michael O'Neill, the Stoke manager, in just a second, and he's going to talk about the fact they've only just restarted that. And the EFL just seemed to announce the 20th of June. What have you heard? Well, I've heard there's a communication problem, um, hence the fact that clubs were under the illusion they were going to start on one date, and actually the EFL seemed to have taken it upon themselves to decide another start date for the championship. It's even more of a mess in League One. Uh, We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, Clubs in that division expected to receive ballot papers uh, to decide if they should continue the season or if it should be decided on points per game. Yesterday, Tuesday, they didn't arrive. That means that the vote cannot take place now until at least next Tuesday. That's 24 hours later than originally scheduled because clubs need five clear days in order to take a vote. And there's no guarantee that even once that vote has been undertaken, that a final decision will be reached. Because, of course, we've seen in League Two where they've already decided to annul their season we're still waiting for that to be ratified. The cynic in me would suggest that the EFL are dragging their heels as long as possible because deep down they don't want League One to continue and the later this vote is taken, the more difficult it will be even for those clubs who want to play on to get their desire. I don't think they're going to get enough votes to make that happen anyway, but take Gillingham, for example. Paul Scally was at one point open to the idea of fulfilling the regular season he's only got seven contracted players now so he clearly is going to vote for it to be null and void well this is a problem isn't it yeah the EFL hasn't looked particularly together at this time of of crisis you know Richard Masters actually the Premier League uh, chief executive who's only actually been in situ for a little while and has actually given the job because everybody else who was given the job actually fell away um, one by one He's actually come out of it looking quite good because the Premier League have been quite calm. They seem to have very slowly and methodically announced what their next steps and stages are. The EFL has looked chaotic. The 
two clubs seemed to manage their decision quite sensibly and quickly, but as you say, was then not ratified. But the League One clubs are like the overbearing administrator in the office that you've got in your workplace that can't stop putting in Zoom meetings to talk about the next Zoom meeting, about the vote in the following Zoom meeting. I mean, for God's sakes, just decide, will you? Yeah, the, the vote should have been taken, in my opinion, four weeks ago. There are only two options on the table. Uh, one is continuing the season as the championship are, and the second is that points per game final table with playoffs. I am told that the playoffs will be in the standard form, home and away legs, with the finals being played at a neutral venue. So that's something that we can cling on to, I guess. Transfer news is hotting up as well. Manchester United have secured Odeon Igalo until January. Um, worth it? Yeah, I think he's done really well. Um, you know my view on this. I was very sceptical on deadline day when his name was first linked. And then I came round to the idea. I think well, he's... You only came round to the idea when he started scoring goals, didn't you? I mean, let's be completely clear about this. We've done this podcast for a long time. And you, I read out the text message of your initial reaction on the day that it was muted that he might be signing. And you weren't at all behind it, in fact. You no, but then, then I got to thinking... You actually used quite a few expletives... I do that anyway. Um, but then I got to thinking, well, there was nobody else they could have got under those circumstances. And as I say, I think he's made a real impact, particularly in the Europa League. I think he's already scored more goals uh, than Henrik Larsson, who is deemed a, a success from yeah. his loan spell at Manchester United. I wonder what it means for Joshua King, because he's just changed agents uh, to Solbakken, who is best friends with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Stella so Solbakken, the, the former Wimbledon player. And But the link there was you were thinking, well, obviously he's going to go to Manchester United, but if they're keeping a Galo, then perhaps not. Uh, Jaden Sancho still appears to be on their list. Timo Werner's re- release calls of £52.7 million is an interesting one. It's set to expire on June the 15th. So that means that anyone who has watched the Bundesliga in this period and knows that he is definitely worth that sort of level of money is going to certainly activate it by that day. At least one person is. I would imagine that two or three do. Liverpool are the favourites, but if they anyone waits until after the 15th, then the price is going to go probably double, I would have thought. Well, I'm sure Ed Woodward is waiting to bank his bid on the 16th of June, then try and pay £75 million. But I think he will go to Liverpool. It, it looks a good fit with Jurgen Klopp, doesn't it? £52 million is, is not a lot for them. I mean, I, I guess the question would be, where does he get into the team? Now, that would got... be a concern, wouldn't it? Because if he's going to leave a team where he is the main striker and go into a front three where, let's be honest, he would have to fight for a place in it, is that attractive to him? Or would he rather go to a club where he's going to be the number one? Well, that's a question that he's going to have to answer himself. But, I mean, that would rule out quite a few clubs, really. He wouldn't be able to go to Tottenham then, would he? Because he's not going to dislodge Harry Kane. Maybe Chelsea. You'd fancy him possibly ahead of Tammy Abraham. United, I think they've settled now on Martial and, and Rashford when they're fit. And obviously, Agarlo as well. So, yeah, he's got a decision to make, hasn't he? But I'm sure he will end up in the Premier League one way or another. Um, speaking of players who could go to Tottenham, Pierre Hoybier has made it pretty clear he's not going to sign a new contract at Southampton. He's just about now entering the final 12 months of his deal. And Ralph Hasenhutl has been quite vocal about that this week, having himself signed the new four-year contract. Congratulations, Ralph. Um, he, he's basically said that unless Hoybier signs a new contract, he can't really see him continuing as club captain. So I think that's uh, the first shots fired there by Mr. Hasenhutl. There'll be a few who are moving on uh, during this uh, period, this this period where someone like Southampton probably is safe, aren't they? So that they can start thinking about building for the future rather than worrying too much about relegation. You would imagine after two or three games with the resumption, they'll be okay. You know, Bournemouth are in a different situation in the fact that they're fighting against relegation and their best player and probably their second best player are out of contract very soon or desperate to get away from the club or intimating that they're getting away from the club. Ryan Fraser, I mean, what happens with him? He's going to be out of contract. He's going to move on at the end of this month. Is he going to play up until that point? That remains to be seen. Ben Chilwell and Chelsea won't go away either. I know that Chelsea were actually quite disappointed with his form over Christmas when I thought he was quite poor. He made some key high-profile errors in big games. I'm sure Leicester fans were were disappointed with him at that point too. But Chelsea certainly have been looking at him and they need a left-back. Playing Athpidicueta in a left-back position because Alonso and Emerson just can't be trusted is a hole that needs plugging. All the build-up to the resumption of the Premier League plus the continuing coverage of the Bundesliga is, of course, live on TalkSport. 
We have the former Northern Ireland manager, Michael O'Neill, and current Republic of Ireland and Aston Villa midfielder, Connor Howrahan, to come on the podcast today. But first, Crook has been catching up with Darren Anderton. I love the Irish flavour to this week's pod. I fancy a Guinness now. Yeah, Darren Anderton, of course, one of the stars of Euro 96 ring and that unforgettable summer when we were so close, weren't we, uh, to winning our first major trophy since 1966. So we're better to start our interview and getting his reflections on that wonderful tournament. but he's found Helmer again. The cross is in there. Kuntz! It's 1-1. Some neat footwork there. Quick feet there by Hintz. Played down the line. And Anderton! Oh, he's hit the post! Oh, he'll never come closer, Brian. How unlucky can you be? They can't believe it, but... Will it be a successful conclusion? There's your answer. The pressure on Germany again. And they find a fifth successful penalty shooter. It's Kuntz who scored the goal for Germany. To equalise the one by Shearer. Another left footer. Can David Seaman stop this one? No, it's gone to the roof of the net again. So we go into sudden death penalties. And the Germans go into the final, and England are out. The dream is over for England and for Terry Venables. The tournament started slowly and actually listen to the, the, the commentator Brian Moore he was sort of saying oh you know this is a bad start they're going to have to get something about Scotland they've got it all to do to qualify and then all of a sudden momentum just began to build was, was it that Gascoigne goal against Scotland do you think was that the turning point? Oh it definitely was because I mean like you were saying you know, the first game didn't go well um, I mean although we battered them the first half hour you could see that we got tense the crowd got tense you know players Played badly, didn't you know? Have good games, and then of course that you know that brought up all the you know the Dennis chair and how we prepared. So the pressure going into that Scotland game was was huge, and of course it was a strange game. You're playing against people you know. You know, I had Colin Calderwood, Gordon Jury have been teammates at Tottenham. You know, you on the pitch having a chat with them before the game, going into what is by a million miles the biggest game of your career against against Scotland and. That minute changed everything from Dave, uh, with Dave Seaman making the save to going up the other end and Gazza's produces that minute, that bit of magic that we all know he's capable of. And uh, and then you could just sense every, everything changed, you know, even the crowd that were, you know, the week before were very tense and nervous are now having a party. And it was, and it was great. And obviously the goal is, is iconic and, and a thing of beauty that, you know, has been played time and time again, but so was the celebration, you know, with the water bottle in the mouth. I mean, how how choreographed was that? I, I assume you'd obviously planned that in training leading up to the game. Well, I mean, I don't think it was actually practiced, but I know that uh, Gaza for sure, had spoken about it. And I know that him, as usual, got most of the brunt of the criticism, being the main man, and Teddy, of course, because he was, you know, pictured <laughs> right in the front with him. So the fact that the two of them... Um, had got most of the stick. They, they most certainly spoke about it, and it was just everything that Gaza was all about. It was you know off the cuff, the, seeing the bottle there and and doing that was was as you say iconic. And um, you know he got a lot of stick after the first game for sure. And uh, for him to do it against Scotland, where he was obviously playing for Rangers and against his teammate, uh, gave him great pleasure. 
Yeah, I bet it did. did. Did it almost create a siege mentality, those negative headlines, you know, the, the, the lurid front page pictures and, and the rumours of TV screens being smashed on the plane? Did that, in a way, unite the group? Oh, it definitely did. I think that's where Terry's magic, you know, he's, you know, he gave us an opportunity to go out and have a night out. You know, we probably overdid it. Um, you know, we got, you know, the, the press was, was over the top with it. There's no doubt about that. Um, and at that point, you know, Terry just said, look, you know, I can't leave you out anymore. You know, you've got to, you've got to stay together. You know, we're not going to even speak about it. There's going to be a, a fine and such. Deal with it. Let's use this to show that, you know, we're united as a team uh, and go from there. And that's exactly what it was because the biggest thing for international football is to get players who can play for different clubs to, to play like a, a club team. And by having those little nights out, you, you, you know, you get to know your teammates better and that sort of thing. And, and then you get given all that stick. It makes you, you know, all stick together and, and try and come through it to get together. And that's exactly what we did. And there's so many good individuals in that team. But the best thing about that team was it was a team. You know, that's what everyone was worried about. You know, you see lots of, you know, you only look at the Holland team probably, that, that how much quality they had. And the biggest difference between the two were that we were t- together as a team and they were a bunch of individuals. Did you all stick to the curfew once, it, once you brought it in? Uh, yeah, we did. We weren't allowed out. I mean, after the first game, we were able to go home and, you know, have a, you know, with families and that sort of thing, come back on the Monday. Uh, a couple of the boys had been seen coming out of nightclubs. So, you know, the following week after the Scotland, I think we were going to be able to, you know, spend the nights, the night with families, that sort of thing. But Terry just said, no, can't do it. After every game, you got to go back to the hotel. But the next day, you can, you know, if you're living in the area within London, you can go home for the day, as long as you're back for, you know, evening dinner. And, you know, those who were up north, you know, he made sure that their families were, were put up in hotels and, and brought down so that the boys could go and see, you know, spend some time with their families. So he did it right. He gave us a chance and I guess we, you know, we let it down a little bit. Um, and then, you know, but he still realised that it was important that, you know, to get away from it. You know, it was, it was such a high pressure situation, the whole tournament. How did Gazza cope with that? Because he, he strikes me as someone, well, he's admitted he, he gets bored very easily. He needs <laughs> constantly to be engaged. So how did he cope with the sort of lockdown hotel environment? As, as he would. I mean, you do, I mean, the amount of times he ruined people's rooms. Uh, you know, the last thing you wanted was a knock from the, on the door from Gazza. Um, always messing about. But I don't, Terry knew him well, obviously, from Tottenham and knew exactly how to get the best out of him. And, and what he was like off the pitch as well. So uh, there were quite a few times where I think he, you know, got Dave Seaman to go and take him fishing and things like that to get to get him out of the place and away from the lads. Yeah. And you mentioned Dave Seaman. Obviously, the other big moment in, in that Scotland game was the penalty save. Same question, I guess. If if, if he doesn't make that save, do you think the, the tournament could have turned out very differently? It really could have done. I mean, that's what it, you know, football's all about, the highs and lows within seconds of a, of a game and, and a tournament at the end of the day. That was, um, that was the one that definitely started the tournament for us. The week before, we had gone one up. They'd come back, scored a penalty. So it really felt like deja vu. And we're thinking, oh, here we go again. Uh, you know, we hadn't really played that great. It wasn't a bad performance, but we still hadn't really got going yet. Um, and it was a very tight game. You know, we got, you know, and Shield was now back in the goals. He'd scored again. Um, so after that game you just felt like it was the perfect game it wasn't easy had to really stick together and, and win ugly with a couple of bits of magic and, and one in particular and a little bit of luck that you need which of course you know you need, need, need that in, in all sorts of football you were in a unique yeah. position because you were playing a tournament at home which obviously hadn't happened since yeah. 1966 so Sometimes I would imagine when you're playing abroad, you're sort of locked away from the media frenzy, but you must have confronted that head on. When did you first realise that momentum was really starting to build and the public were maybe sceptical at the start of the tournament because of events you've talked about were, were finally fully on board? Oh, for sure they were. And that was, that was the best thing about it. Well, once that Scotland game was done, and then, of course, then we go into the Holland game playing with so much confidence because, you know, we've... we've got that first win, you know, being Scotland is always, of course, a massive thing. Uh, you know, it was going from that point, going to the games, the, you know, the crowds along the motorways, on the bridges, you know, it felt 
so surreal, something that we'd never, you know, witnessed or been part of before. So it was, um, you really could just sense the whole country were now with us and that we, you know, we were playing with so much confidence. It made such a difference. Did you play the song on the coach on the way to games? Did it get played at the hotel? So when we we got to the towards you know about five minutes out and coming down Wembley Way and that I remember and she would always go and put it, go and put it on and get the boys going and it was yeah it was such an amazing song and that, that you know of course the whole stadium would sing it was just it was crazy and I think that we you know yes you you got a job to do but we also tried to enjoy and and take it all in, which is, which is what we did. The Spain game was a bit more cagey, obviously, than the, than the Holland one. Um, David Seaman, very much the hero, a bit of redemption for, for Stuart Pearce as well. What are your memories of, of that knockout match? Well, I think it, the reality was, I mean, we played so well against Holland, you just go into the next game thinking you can beat everyone and anyone, but the reality was Spain were a really good team and played really well on the day. They probably didn't get the breaks that they, they needed and, of course, the biggest thing for me is the fact that it went to penalties and Stuart's penalty. You know, I was a fan watching Italia 90 when, of course, we went out on penalty. So to see him walk up and, you know, the guts that it took to do that and, and of course, a great penalty and the emotion of his celebration, um, it, it, it was amazing. It was, it was a, a great day because, of course, so much has been talked about us losing on penalties and we did, now, now won one. Um, and it just felt like everything was was going the way it should do. Yeah, and and it did obviously until penalties in the semi final. I mean, it just typed in Darren Anderton, Euro '96 on on YouTube, and obviously that that shot against the the, the post features quite yeah. prominently. Is that is that a moment that you've turned over in your head subsequently? Yeah, especially when it comes up now and that sort of thing with the tournament being on, and um, you know people talk about it, and you know, so it's not one of those things that I ever think about. Oh, or regret because of course I would wish it would have gone in and everything else but the fact is it wasn't like it was a one-on-one and I knocked it wide it was one of those where I just all I could do was get a foot on it and try and steer it towards the goal and that's what I did when I hit it I thought you know yeah I think it's going to go in of course it's the inside of the post and um, I mean they go straight you know bounces into the goalie's hands as well who'd already dove past the ball so it was one of those moments of course the Gaza one um, you know, just after that, it just, you know, what I remember about it was so, obviously it was such a classic game, but also how well we played. Of course, everyone talks about the Holland game, but the, we played r- really well against Germany, minus the goals, unfortunately, and minus that little bit of luck. Um, and of course, then you go to penalties, and you know anything can happen. We had, you know, we just won a penalty shootout the weekend before against Spain, so we were very confident, but, you know, Germany being Germany, I'm afraid. Yeah, something about Germany and penalties. But obviously yeah. the, f- the full guy this time was Gareth Southgate. I mean, do you remember the, the scenes in the in the dressing room afterwards? How how emotional was he at what had just happened? Uh, it's, it, I mean, very, Gareth's very level-headed as we now see with him being the, you know, the manager of England and everything else. But the classy individual played, played the game in the right way. Um, it's one of those things. He was absolutely gutted, um, and as we all were, as we all were for him as well. Um, it was a very surreal situation, feeling that you didn't, you know, we weren't ready to to go home as such or be knocked out of the tournament. You know, we were there for to be there for the duration, and you know, on that bus on the way back, knowing that you were going back to pack your bags, and and that was it. It was it was. It was, it was tough, really tough. Few tears were shed, that's for sure. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Sure. More of Darren Anderson to come, but first, let's not be accused of falling in love with the mistress Bundesliga, only to discard her as soon as the Premier League floozy flutters her eyelids at us. So here's our two minutes of German gems. The Bundesliga returns this week to TalkSport and TalkSport 2. We've got live commentary on TalkSport in the Saturday session with Stuart Pierce, Perry Groves and myself this weekend. Uh, worth remembering that of the 36 Bundesliga games since the restart, 18 of them have been away wins. 10 have been draws and just 8 have been home wins, which is not good news for Bayer Leverkusen, who play Bayern this week. Indeed they do, but it is the chance for Kai Havertz to enhance his burgeoning reputation as they take on the runaway leaders Bayern. The informed frontman has the elegance of Real Madrid legend Zinazin Zidane, according to Leverkusen's assistant coach Marcel Dorm. Borussia Dortmund's title challenge is over, but they can take advantage of any slip in that Leverkusen Bayern game to cement a Champions League place when they face Hertha Berlin on Saturday night at 5.30. But they face a huge challenge from a resurgent Hertha, who have already caused problems for Leipzig and look well coached against Augsburg last week. Matthias Cunha should return from concussion, but there is competitions for places in that uh, front end of the team for Hertha, and Gruwich and Derrida in midfield are proving to be a very good pair. That said, Dortmund looked pretty ruthless last weekend, scoring six and Jadon Sancho getting his first professional hat-trick. So, Berlin beware. Elsewhere, Wolfsburg will be looking to bounce back from their surprise defeat at the hands of struggling Eintracht Frankfurt as they meet Werder Bremen. Oliver Glasner's side are only clinging on to the final European place on goal difference, that following a run of two wins in seven matches either side of the enforced break. Two of the teams that are struggling for form, Union Berlin and David Wagner's Schalke, meet on Sunday. Now, you get the feeling that the pressure is really piling in on David Wagner after 11 games without a win. They did play better in the second half of their game last week with uh, improving Bremen, but still lost, and goals have been a problem. They're on their worst run since 1996-97. Ouch. Union had a great first half of the season, but rely heavily on set pieces, and unless they pick up something at home to Schalke, they could find themselves dragged into a relegation battle. Championship clubs return to contact training this week. They have been a week behind the Premier League clubs. I spoke to the Stoke manager, Michael O'Neill, on Saturday with Stuart Pearce, and he gave me his take about the revving up of plans to get back to action and the issues of managing small training sessions. It was a bit of a challenge, uh, initially to get the training ground in the in the state it needed to be in in terms of uh, following the guidelines from the EFL but you know, I think the club have done a great job um, and it's been good to get the players back on the grass you know I think after 10 weeks or possibly even more than that you know they're, they're keen to get back in and uh, so it's been a good week and the weather's helped obviously as well. Um, what are the rigours of training like with the social distancing um, and with all the regulations in place? I mean, I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I heard Andros Townsend talking yesterday on Jim White's show, and he was talking about how they still manage to keep a bit of social distancing between the coaching staff and the players. Do you have to shout through a megaphone or something? <laughs> no, no, not quite at that level yet. But yeah, we, you know, we're working with small groups, so the players are essentially doing... 75-minute sessions, but for the coaching staff, it's quite demanding because to get through 25, 26 players, it takes us about four and a half hours. 
Michael, a tough call for you to leave the international scene after all the success you've had with, with the uh, Northern Ireland side? Yeah, it was. Your, you know, I had chances in the past to leave and didn't feel it was the right time and um, maybe possibly not the right club. But I had a good feeling about Stoke and having met the owners, um, I felt it was the right opportunity and it was probably the right time, eight, eight years. And, you know, we did another good campaign, but... You know, I felt very deflated after the, the game in Holland where we lost the game in the last, in the 93rd, 94th minute, which would have given us a strong position to qualify directly for Euro 2020. Um, maybe that was a factor in the decision as well. But as you know yourself in football, sometimes you just have an instinct for things. And the Stoke job when it came along, whilst the club wasn't in a great position, obviously, the club itself, the structure of the club and the ownership of the club was, was enough to make me uh, feel it was the right decision at that moment in time. Uh, talking about the owners, at Stoke you've got owners, the Coates family have been there for a very long time. They're very well known as big Stoke City fans. John Coates in particular, I know you've managed to form quite a good relationship with. How did that influence your decision to join them? It was, it was probably the key thing, to be honest. Um, I think it's really important as a manager and when you go in that you can have that... Um, that relationship directly with the with the ownership model. I think for a lot of managers and speaking to a lot of managers over the years, you know, they have difficult relationships at times with owners who are maybe overseas or, or communicate through a third party to get to the manager. So I don't have to deal with anything with that. I have obviously a direct line with John and, and his father Peter. I see them minimum once, if not twice a week. So it's a very open relationship there, and, and that's I think uh, a positive way to manage. Um, they obviously not allow me to manage the club, but it's it's good that I think you have that that type of relationship as opposed to a more distant relationship, which I, I think a lot of managers have to deal with. What are your plans for Stoke in the long and media term? Have you sort of set yourself a target? It's a very difficult division to get out of the championship, but you've made a, an impact since being there. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's taken a little bit of time to get used to the championship. Obviously, the immediate. Um, Priorities is to stay in the championship. We've been, <laughs> yeah. got ourselves to 17th and, and 42 points, which from being in, at the bottom of the league when I took over. Um, and what I have seen in the championship really is um, there's not a lot between obviously a lot of the teams. If you look at us as a, as a team, I think since I come in, our form would have a seventh in the table, and actually from January it would have us in second or third. So, but yet we're still in a relegation fight. And uh, so I think that, you know, medium term, we have to uh, change the squad a little bit. We, we have a lot, you know, we, there's no secret that we have a big wage bill and that has to be uh, changed for the, for the uh, championship. But um, I believe that with one or two right additions, that we have a squad that can certainly um, challenge for a top six position next season, assuming we stay in the, in the division. And uh, that's what we're aiming for, and to build a team that obviously will challenge for promotion. You know, Stoke has been a Premier League club for 10 years prior to relegation, and uh, the owners are very keen to get back there. Um, you, you work with some very good players over the course of your career. Johnny Evans has had a late flourish in his career. How good is he, and how surprised are you? I mean, he went from, from Manchester United, was allowed to leave and went to, to West Bromwich Albion, and then obviously has gone on to be sought after again at Leicester City. Uh, what what are his level of abilities? Yeah, I think uh, it's no surprise to me to see Johnny obviously get the, the plaudits he's been getting. Um, I always felt he could play in a top four team. Um, you know, when I saw him in the international stage, he played against a lot of world class at the forwards and, you know, he was never found short in any of those games. He made our team so much better. It's noticeably when Johnny isn't in the team at international level, it, it's really a, a gap that we couldn't, we couldn't fill in any way. Um, so it, it's not surprising to see his level of performance. Very intelligent player as well. And you know, at one point, I think he was very close to going to Manchester City from, from West Bromwich Albion and I was, Got it from that. That didn't happen really. But as I say, you know, his level of performance now is, is up there with the best centre backs in the Premier League. It was really interesting when he talked about the small groups having to train separately, so they had to do it back to back. And seventy-five minute training session meant that it, the day ended up going on for longer than anticipated. Four and a half hours worth of training sessions. Those coaches had to do the training session back to back over and over again. I mean, luckily he's got a bigger coaching staff now, and he spoke about the art of delegation since moving from Northern Ireland. 
But ultimately, you know, that must be quite a repetitive thing to do for coaches. Yeah, I think it's been the same up and down the country. Uh, what's interesting is I would imagine most managers have delegated a lot of those sessions to their coaching staff. There is one manager who I know definitely hasn't done that. Eddie Howe, no surprises. <laughs> he has been out there hour after hour pouring over every training session himself because, as we know, Eddie isn't a big fan of the art of delegation. Eddie likes to be in control of everything. That's why Eddie's got to where he is. Uh, okay, you're listening to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Now, you might have seen our video last week or heard our pursuit of Henez the Goat, who is FC Cologne's mascot, who can't go to home games during the coronavirus crisis because, well, he's an actual goat. Uh, producer Lucy was sent on the trail of Henez to find out if he was missing the football, but was ghosted by the farmyard animal and his handler. Something she said reminded her of her Tinder days last week, so she swiftly moved on to an eagle, Attila. Um, who I can't even remember who he was the mascot for. I think it might have been Eintracht Frankfurt. Lucy, what's the latest? Um, unfortunately, Attila's also ghosting me. Oh, I think you might need to update your profile. I know, I don't know if it's my pictures are wrong or what it is. <laughs> um, but instead, I think I have found an alternative that's a little bit closer to home. Okay. There's a farm in Lancashire and... Uh, they actually do um, goat Zoom sessions. Right. So you can have a goat on your Zoom for about 10 minutes and the farmer just follows it around the barn and it's just a little bit of entertainment for everybody. So I don't know if we can't have Henez, why don't we have some kind of relation? Sorry, why would people pay for that service under normal circumstances? To just watch a goat on, on on your video just walking around its pen? Well, I don't know about you know everybody else, but I'm kind of sick of looking at both your faces. So it would be nice yeah. if we did have like a little goat. Huh. Yeah, plenty of entertainment out there. Um, sorry, can I just get this right? So we started looking for the mascot of a football club. Um, we then moved on to a, a mascot of another football club after being ghosted by said goat. Um, and now we're just trying to find <laughs> any old goat to look at on Zoom for 10 minutes. What is the purpose of this again? <laughs> Because why not? You said you're in a bit of a bad mood anyway with your diet, so it might just help you. Goat therapy. Exactly. <laughs> and they also do a bit of goat yoga as well. So I was thinking once this lockdown's lifted, maybe we should all get booked in for a session. What, the what like a goat stretches itself out into various positions? No, while you're in the downward dog, Alex, the goat's on top of you. There's no chance that he gets into the downward dog for a start. And I'm be... not having a goat anywhere near me, by <laughs> the way. That would be some athletic goat to get on top of that one. You're not very good at this, Lucy, are you, in terms of getting animals <laughs> to the podcast? You, you remind me of that Only Fools and Horses episode where they kill the pet bird, go out and buy a replacement, and then find out actually it was dead anyway. Oh, dear. Um, Luce, I, 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 I'm pleased that you've put the effort in. Um, I'm not sure I'm a subscriber to Goat Zoom, but hey, let's give it a go. Goat Zoom. <laughs> Back to our chat with Darren Anderson. Uh, Crook was talking to him about Euro 96 in the first part. In the second half, he was talking to him more about what England could do at next year's tournament. And, and just moving it forward, if you, if you look at the current England team, obviously, again, came so close under Gareth at the last World Cup, that another semi-final defeat. Um, how would you compare this England team to the one that you played in in, in 96? I know it's difficult to compare eras. It's tough, I think, but I think it is without doubt. You know, I feel like I was very lucky to play in a couple of really good England teams. And I think that this is the best one since. I really do. I think that the biggest thing is that, you know, you know with the teams that have been since should have probably done better. Um, and, you know, I've always put that down to it, maybe not being a team ethic and lots of egos and that sort of thing. Whereas now Gareth is because of the teams that he played in, he knows how to get the best out of these players and make them play like a club team. So I really do think that they're in a, it's a really healthy position that our national team have at the moment with so much talent. And I think Gareth's getting the best out of them. You know, before players were going to play for their international team and they were, they, they, they'd freeze. They weren't given the freedom to go out and express themselves. And that's what Gareth's done. It's, it's great to watch. And now, you know, when England play, it, it's enjoyable and you look forward to watching it. Whereas I'd say for the previous few years, it was you know, pretty negative and pretty dull at times. Do you think we can win the Euros when they eventually take place? 
Absolutely. You know, we've got the ability. There's no doubt about it. You know, you need a little bit of luck. Um, but I, you know, before, you know, obviously this is, isn't happening now, but before, you know, people were asking, I was saying, I, this is, uh, we've got a really good chance and have to be one of the favourites for sure. And just to bring it full circle, did you see in a teammate in Gareth Southgate, someone who you thought would go on and, and become a top class manager? Did he always have that think, aura? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you could always say, was he, you know, would he be too nice as a, you know, a guy to be a manager? But I think he's definitely got a streak within him that I've heard that he, what when it needs to be said. But the big thing is, I think that Gareth doesn't, as he was on the pitch, he's, he's he was classy, read the game so well, won't get overexcited by a great performance, won't be too down about, you know, with the players if they don't perform as they should. Because, you know, that's football. You know, you can't play, be brilliant every week. And that, that, that's what it's all about. And um, I would say that, you know, it doesn't surprise me to see him doing as well as he has done. And in terms of, you had Alan Shearer scoring the goals in Euro 96. England have got Harry Kane now. Very much the same sort of talismanic striker. Do you see any similarities between those two? I think most certainly um, mentally. Um, Harry's so strong mentally. I think he's... You know, he does such a good job. He has done for Spurs. I've obviously watched him since he came into the team and he's been different class, international football, easy for him. He's just a great finisher. I mean, he, he does everything and uh, and more. And, you know, when I look at, like I said about Alan Shearer and Teddy is the perfect partnership, I almost see, you know, a little bit of both of them in Harry. That's, you know, he really is the perfect, the dream centre forward. He does it, he does it all. Thank you very much to Darren Anderson. I thought he was very interesting and um, he's not someone that you hear from very often. So it was great to get him on. Well done. Yeah, he's a good lad and, and he played really well at that tournament. And he gets tarred with this sick note tag, which I know annoys him, but I think he's still Tottenham's record Premier League appearance holder, so he, he can't have spent that much time on the treatment table. Uh, let's rattle through some of the other bits and pieces. I saw that Chelsea this week asked the Premier League to uh, be able to list nine possible substitutes in the Premier League in order to sort of provide managers with options if they're going to have the ability to put on five subs. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think Mrs Phil Jones will be too happy because it'll mean her husband has something to do on a Saturday afternoon. That's a little bit cynical, isn't it? Um, But ultimately, I suppose the the idea being is you've got to look at this, and I certainly have in terms of approaching it for research purposes, um, that it's going to be a mini tournament. It's like like a a World Cup or European Championships, and therefore you have a squad, and maybe that that's probably the right way of attacking it to ensure that people do not get in the red zone. Yeah, I haven't got a massive problem with it, um, to be honest. Squads are there to be used. Obviously, the Premier League teams, you've got the deeper squads, are going to be the biggest benefactors from this sort of tournament scenario. I was speaking to Glenn Murray last week, and he was saying this is the nearest that he's going to get to playing at World Cup or a European Championships playing in the summer. It was also suggesting that maybe matches might be a bit slower because, of course, until today, the hot weather, the conditions are going to be that much more difficult. So I think it is going to be fascinating and the, and the dynamics are going to change, no doubt about that. Well, you say that, but um, obviously it depends on the temperature. And the temperature recently in all parts of the UK, even here in the north, uh, has been 26, 27 degrees. However, uh, the forecast between now and the end of June on average, about 13, 14 up here. I don't know what it's like on the south coast, but you may well have geographical differences because a game being played in 13, 14 degrees is just normal. Whereas a game being played at 25, 26, if you're down the south coast and it's a particularly sunny day, that's going to sap the life out of people. So Brighton, who have been going on about home advantage for a very long time, actually may well get it because they they, they might be in sunnier, warmer climes. You just told me that the rest of this month is going to be naff. Weather-wise. Yeah, it is. I've been studying it um, because um, Mrs. Matface is is affected by the sun. She likes to be in the sun, so I have to be prepared. Um, Also this week, Tom Ross, our Midlands correspondent, spoke to Conor Howrahan of Aston Villa about the return of the Premier League and and how much he owed uh, to the development time that he spent in League One and League Two. Yeah, it it was amazing. It was fantastic for me. Plymouth gave me my final, kind of my first probably chance of playing first team football it was an opportunity I had to grab because heading down to League 2 if you don't kind of succeed there you, I probably would have been struggling so it probably turned me from a boy to a man very quickly um, like I said it gave me Carl Fletcher at the time another manager who's influenced my career gave me the captain's armband around 21-22 that gave me a huge bit of belief and confidence that you know he sees something in me 
Um, and I went from strength to strength. And then I went to Barnsley and there was, you know, another opportunity for myself to, to grab League One, that level with both hands. And I, I dedicated myself at that level and became captain and, and the rest is history. So both in clubs, Plymouth and Barnsley, really gave me that kind of, you know, chance and that opportunity. And when, that, when opportunities come around in life, you have to do the utmost to make the most of it. Desire and graft are always apparent. Sometimes people always talk about ability and this and that, but they rarely talk about that side of it, hard work, desire, graft. Mm. How important has that has been with you on your journey? Yeah, listen, it's been massive. I think, um, you know, people kind of have opinions of, of, um, of players uh, only three o'clock on a Saturday. They don't see what, what goes on every single week, every single day um, on the training grounds. Um, you know, I've dedicated myself to my career to make the utmost of myself. Like I said, going in on days off, um, you know, staying on, being in early, leaving late, one of the last off the training pitches nearly every single day. Um, and I've, like I said, that journey from League Two to the Premier League, I've, I've given everything I've got. And uh, luckily for, enough for myself, it's paid off. So I think um, people only kind of judge you, and rightly so, I suppose, because they only get to see you at that time on, on a match day. But, um, you know, there's a lot of hard work um, for myself as an individual that's got into, you know, performing on the Saturdays where they judge you. So, um, yeah, listen, it's, it, that's been kind of my um, ingredients, that hard work, dedication along the way. So I suppose if, if you were giving advice to youngsters, there are no shortcuts, are there? It's graft. No, no, there really isn't. You really have to sacrifice yourself and, 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 love, and love the game. And, um, you know, no one's going to knock, knock on your door and give you that ticket to where you want to go anytime soon. You have to go and earn it. You have to go out and, and work for it. So, yeah, it's um, putting in them hours, working harder than the person next to you. You know, trying to be the hardest worker in the room all the time and you'll, you'll have challenges along the way, but having that mental ability to, you know, shrug that challenge to one side and keep keep moving forward onto the next one. Live commentary of the Bundesliga is on TalkSport this weekend, including on the Saturday session with me, Stuart Pearce and Perry Groves, where we'll bring you live commentary uh, of the game between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich. Also, straight after that on TalkSport 2, Dortmund against Hertha Berlin. Hey! Ho! Uh, ho! Hey! Yes, we almost did that in unison. Look at us. Um, social distancing with our words as well. Um, but they take on Dortmund looking for a fourth win in five games. What a fantastic restart to the season uh, they have had. I know we keep banging on about it, but we don't care. Um, Bremen against Wolfsburg is a big game on Sunday as well and well worth a watch as Bremen try to claw their way further out of relegation trouble uh, that's it from us we'll be back next week on the TalkSport Game Day podcast as we build up to the resumption of the Premier League and we also look ahead to what will be happening in Spain mm. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.